Hello and welcome to That Will Preach. My name is Jeremy Mills. I'm so glad to have you along today. In this episode, I have a conversation with my dear friend, Ed Inman. Ed and I have been close friends for over 25 years. Ed pastors in Paris, Kentucky, married to his wife, Jennifer, and three boys, Chase, Landon, and Jake. Trust me when I say you do not want to miss this conversation. Stay tuned. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and leave a comment. This would help us out so very much. Thank you for doing that today. Also, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Jeremy-Mills. You can find a link there that will allow you to support us for as little as 99 cents a month. Prayerfully consider this. It would be most helpful and appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless. Hello and welcome everybody to That We'll Preach. Today I have a guest, uh, Pastor Ed Inman, and I'm just going to refer to him as Ed because Ed and I have been the closest friends for how, how long, Ed? How long have we been friends? I would say it's been uh, since Moby Dick was a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking about it the other day. I think um, we started hanging out when I was around 13, so almost around 30-some years we've been At friends. At least. Yes. Right. And uh, I am so honored to introduce Ed today on the podcast, and I'm just glad to have you, man. Man, I'm glad to be here. Well, it's going to be an exciting conversation today, so I'm going to kind of deviate a little bit away from what we normally do, but I still want to ask some of the questions that we have been talking to um, some of our some of our guests, and so uh, I'm going to go ahead and get right into it so that we can really get into the meat of the subject that you and I are going to be talking about. But real quickly, Ed, what is your sermon routine? Uh, what day do you study? And uh, the length of time that you put into preparing for a sermon? So for me, studying um, is different from past- since I've been pastoring than when I was just a, a lay minister. Yeah. Um, now that I'm pastoring, you know, I'm preaching on, I'm teaching on Wednesday nights. I'm preaching on Sunday. Um, so I, when I, when I made the decision to start pastoring, um, I made a commitment to my wife, to my family, um, whether it was a verbal commitment or just a personal commitment of mine that I was going to do my dead level best to not allow my study time to interfere with family time as much as I possibly could. Right. Because when I was, before I was pastoring, I really didn't have an office to study. So I studied at the dining room table or at the couch and, and, and I basically held the house hostage. Everybody had to be quiet, no distraction because dad's in here trying to study. So, um, so now that I have my office, um, I take all day Wednesday. I spend all day in my office on Wednesday uh, preparing myself for Bible study on Wednesday night. And I sacrifice my body and my mind because I get up at four 30 on Sunday morning and come to the church to make my study preparations for Sunday's service. So I know that's, uh, that's last, that's, that's about as last minute. That's like buying your Christmas presents at Christmas Eve. But, um, that, that's how I, I, I set my routine for study time is all day Wednesday for Bible study on Wednesday night. And then 
um, Sunday morning early is what I'll do for studying for Sunday sermon. So let me ask you, Ed, do you do paper notes? Uh, do you type your notes? Do you use an iPad, a tablet? What do you take to the pulpit? I'm a paper notes guy. I'd like for it to be different. I'd like to be more technically advanced in my preparation but for the sake of for the uh, the amount of time that i have prepared myself uh paper notes works best for me um it's because i'm more used to paper notes um even in my business side of you know my vocational and construction business i'm still a paper and pencil guy um I use contracts and I use the emails and I use the computer to print stuff off. I, I, I still use all that. Uh, but for me taking notes and, and doing things like that, it's just easier for me to use paper. I know that they've got programs now where you can write on tablets and all that stuff. Um, but I like paper. If, if I'm preaching, it, it feels more organic and it feels more original to me when I watch it, even when I'm watching a guy yeah. uh, preach. Um, and I see the tablet, ta- the tablet just kind of turns me off a little bit. I know it's cause I'm, I, I'm young, but I'm still old in school a little bit. Um, and when I, when I see paper, it, 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 it kind of speaks a little more of originality to me than just a tablet. Cause then I think, you know, that they just copied and pasted. So I'm a paper guy, but I'm a paper guy to, to the point where I type it on the computer and hit print and I take paper to the pulpit. So what you're saying is you are it's it's your handwritten notes on you're not typing it out and printing. You're handwriting these things and taking handwritten in ink and with lined paper to the pulpit. That's correct. Now there's there are on some occasions where if I if I want to rattle off some scriptures that I'm not maybe as familiar with that I that I should be or that I want to be, um, and, and I want to do like a like a daisy chain of like three or four verses in a row, and and I want to just just rip them and get them. I'll I'll go online and I'll I'll find a Bible program or something, and I'll copy and paste those verses and put them in large as large print as I can fit on a paper, and I'll print like you know scriptures uh, where I can just have one paper that's just those scriptures on. I can just hit them hard. And not have to really like, you know, spend, you know, like looking at small print or my handwritten, uh, taking time to handwrite them. It's just big print from the computer. You know, I can relate with that because I used to handwrite all my notes and take that to the pulpit as well. Um, I don't do that anymore. I can relate because I did the exact same thing. Uh, when I had, when I had a lot of scriptures, I actually got to the point there towards the end of my handwritten notes that every verse, I would copy and paste, and where that verse verse was in my notes, I had a big highlighted number, and then on those printed notes off to the side, I'd have number one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> and, and as I'm what, preaching, was you, you preaching from a desk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- that might be one of the reasons why I said, "All right, I need to stick to the handwritten, or I need to go." you know, type these things out and 
kind of navigated towards typing them out. But I got you. No. <laughs> right. When you get to these newer kind of lecterns that are these little skinny little lecterns now that can, can that are barely big enough to hold a tablet, let alone a water bottle, it, it don't quite fit like in the old school ones where the where they wrapped all the way around you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I went to this one church and preached one time. I, I kid you not. I am not even uh, this pulpit was so big and I did it at the end of service just for kicks and giggles. And this is not how I went, but it was so big. And I, you kind of stepped up into it. I laid six pages of notes side by side on this pulpit. <laughs> and, and I didn't even have to, it, it, in theory, I didn't even have to turn the page. I could just like, start at page one and face this side of the of the church and they would know they would know when I was getting close because like a like a clock hand I would just keep facing where my page was and they would know by the time I got to the other side of the church I was done with my notes. <laughs> like well <laughs> a half hour into it and I'm still still stuck in the middle like well it's gonna be an hour long sermon today. <laughs> oh. you know, speaking about handwritten notes and fonts and all that stuff i was actually i pulled up into the parking lot at a men's conference where mike williams was preaching in yes. kentucky and i pulled in and was parked my truck and i looked over and mike williams is sitting in his car beside me i'm in my truck so i'm looking down kind of into his car and he has his notes out for his sermon that he's going to preach that day at, at the at the men's conference mm -hmm. i i kid you not the font was so big I could read it from my truck, <laughs> and 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 it wasn't until in the middle of a sermon that I could barely perceive it because he was so he was so skilled at doing it. He had done it so long. Right. He was turning the pages so fast because he was reading. The, I mean, he was going so fast through his notes because they were such <laughs> large font. But he barely had to even look down to see us to be able to read his notes because the font was so big. Wow! I, I'll never forget that. I remember that uh, seeing seeing his notes. It was, it was, it was funny. Well, I have to say, um, about two years ago, uh, I had to get reading glasses, and now uh, I have to. I'm, we're getting off subject, but but now I have to. I have to use bifocals, and I went on Amazon and I bought the kind that's just like the half glasses, so I could. My sight's really good. You know, I can see everybody fine. It was either see my notes and everybody else be fuzzy or fuzzy notes and everybody be cleared. And I just got the half glasses and now I'm looking <laughs> over them like an old man. What I should do is just enlarge the font, but I don't want, I don't want to. And eventually I probably will. But anyways, um, so let's move on. Paper, handwritten notes at the pulpit. So if you're listening to this um, and you're still handwriting your pulpit notes sermon notes um you're with ed you're you're still there's still y'all still hanging in there and uh, i'll just say this to everybody's listening to this podcast ed is my dearest and closest friend and i have i have suggested to him how many times man that i've been telling you you need to go ahead and type your notes out about every time you want a copy of them. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, dude, that will preach. That is amazing. Send me those notes. Oh, wait a minute. You have to copy and scan it. No, just never mind. I'll Just give me the gist of it, and I'll preach it. 
<laughs> right? It'd be so easy just for you to say, oh, yeah, here it is. Boom, click, done. All right. Hi, uh, anyways. Well, so, um, again, we're going to come back to that, too. So, uh, let me ask you, what version of the Bible, Ed, do you use? I'm a King James Version guy. Um, I just, it's, I, I like it's, um, I like the language. I know it seems that it's a challenge to maneuver through some of the transliterations and some of the w- words that, that the King James author or translators used. Um, but I think it, it is to me the, the more accurate of the versions. I still use BibleHub.com as a source for looking at parallel passages um, because I can click on it. I can have I, I keep it open on my computer desk when I'm studying. Mm-hmm. And, and any time I pull up a passage that's challenged to, to grasp, maybe in fullness in King James, I can look at the BibleHub.com and it's got, you know, 30 parallel passages right, right. next to each other. So uh, but I, I generally read from and study from King James. Yeah. Do you ever interject those other versions yes. into your sermon? Yes. Um, matter of fact, there's one of my favorite uh, um, verses of a translation is in the Message Bible. It's where Paul speaks. He says, uh, and uh, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Uh, the Message Bible changes the language and says it like this. Uh, All that's left now is the shouting. <laughs> uh, that'll preach. <laughs> that that'll will preach. preach. <laughs> that will preach. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I do sometimes interject other tra- other uh, interpretations or translations. All right, so let me ask you, um, Ed, what sermon prep would you give um, some advice to a young pastor or a young preacher? Let's put it that way. For a young minister that's getting into the ministry, I may not necessarily be young in age, but young in experience, and just getting into the ministry far as sermon prep and coming up with sermon ideas. And, and and this goes without saying to everyone's listening to these podcasts. I know I keep asking this question. The greatest thing that you can do for sermon prep is to pray. Number one, pray. If you, Number one, pray. Uh, number two, read your Bible. That, that really helps. Um, but outside of prayer and outside of, you know, daily Bible reading, uh, what kind of advice would you give to young preachers? Okay, I could we could go on and on with this subject. Right. I'll I'll keep it short. Take a nap. <laughs> oh, you want me to expound on that? Okay. Yes, I do. Go ahead. <laughs> Everybody else is too. All right, Job thirty three and fifteen. This is what Job wrote in Job thirty three fifteen. He says, "In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber on their beds, the Bible says that the Lord." opens the ears of men and sealeth his instruction that he may keep pride from men. Wow. I often, it is a, it is a practice of mine. I don't want to call it a ritual, but almost without fail at some point or another on Wednesday during the day or Sunday morning, when I'm studying as I'm, as I've, I've already ingested some scripture, I've already read some things. I've had a, a a thought or something is in my spirit a little bit, and it's just not going anywhere. It's just kind of I'm languishing, trying to find direction with this. 
And, and as I'm doing so, I feel my eyes being heavy. I feel my just that sluggishness that you get when you're like, you know, I don't call it writer's cramp, but you know what I mean when you're studying. Yeah. Sometimes you kind of hit that wall. Right. Um, so what I'll do is I'll let that I'll kind of go back to my original verse or my original thought that I'm kind of trying to go from. And I'll just kind of read it. Marinate on it, put my feet up on the desk, set my alarm for 20 minutes and go to sleep. I'm all about that idea. <laughs> I promise you, for at least for me, the 20 minute power nap, you call it, whatever people call it, whatever. When I generally wake up from that 20 minute nap, my brain just, the, those, my spirit is open. My brain is open. And it feels like just like, like I've got a connectivity to God that just all of a sudden it's just like, bam, things just start clicking and avenues and doors start opening up for me to be able to start expounding on that initial thought or that initial burst that had had me stymied before. So my advice to somebody that's struggling and trying to find notes or trying to figure out what to do note. Oh, I can't go to sleep. That's irreverent. That's disrespectful to the Lord. <laughs> no matter of fact, he says, go to sleep and let me talk to you so that when you wake up and you realize this didn't come from me, this came from God. That is you can't take pride in that. That is that is so interesting, and obviously, you know, I've been friends for a very long time, and I knew that, but I really wanted you to share that with our listeners. And this is the first time that I've that I've done this. I think this is so unique and so different um, to those who are listening to this podcast. I know a lot of you. I look at the analytics, and I see that a lot of you are, most of you are listening to this on Apple uh, iPod. Uh, I'm not an Apple guy; I'm an Android guy, but if you will skip over to anchor.fm, uh, that will preach. Find me on anchor.fm, and in that app or on that website where you find my podcast is a message. You can send me a message. What I would like to know is, has anyone experienced what Ed's talking about? If you have, go to anchor.fm and send me a message and let me know. I would be interested to know how many of you have um, experienced this either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, so send me a message. And if you have a question for Ed on this subject, because I think this is so unique, if you have a question for Ed, again, go to the website, anchor.fm, send me a message and ask me this question. I will I will relate that question to Ed, and then um, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back with you on that. So, but I think that is so interesting. I can I can expand expound on that and expand on that thought both um, with more things that's happened to me along the way with it, and scripturally can show this more uh, in, in more places in scripture. Well, here's what I'd like to do then. Um, Again, to those who are listening, if you have a question or a comment on that, send me that. Uh, Ed, what we'll do, we will come back, you and I, after the first of the year, maybe sometime in February, we will come back and revisit this subject and have a podcast on just this uh, very topic. All right, so let's move on. Let me ask you, Ed, what would you give advice as uh, far as to young preachers also, and not maybe necessarily just young preachers, but preachers in general, a pulpit etiquette. So what, what suggestion would you give um, to, to preachers on the, the subject of pulpit etiquette? Pulpit etiquette. 
that's a very broad and deep subject that could, I mean, I, once again, that's another podcast all in of itself. Because Absolutely. You can talk about etiquette when you're talking about being in somebody else's pulpit. Right. Whether you're the pastor or whether you're a, an assistant pastor. Yeah. So let's there's just, all kinds of. Let's just go ahead and just pick on one. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to give uh, um, appearance etiquette. Okay. There is a huge, massive pet peeve of mine, and probably for most of you listening, and that is when a guy is preaching, especially a guy who is very, very, very boisterous, very loud, uh, when spittle begins to, to develop in the corners <laughs> of their mouth. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> I know where you're going. And you're sitting there in your seat watching him, and you keep rubbing your mouth because you're just <laughs> – it's almost like you're you're wishing on him that he would wipe – and you can't you can't recall or think about anything that guy's saying because you're so focused on that stupid spittle on the corner of his mouth. <laughs> oh, so whether – whether I, this obviously falls under a different style of etiquette that you maybe in, in that – in the course no, of that conversation, mm-hmm. but I think it is just as important uh, for a minister when he stands in the pulpit to make sure that his he has groomed himself. Uh, look in the mirror, look at yourself before you go out to, to to the public, because people are looking at you. And if there is something distracting, a hair standing straight up the back, a booger in your nose, something that <laughs> teeth spill in the corner of your mouth, your shirt not buttoned right, your tie turned sideways, or not not pulled up tight to your oh, collar. Yeah. There's a hundred different things, you know, that could be um, as- skewed from your appearance that's going to distract people. And and you spend all this time and burden and prayer and, and laying the foundation and, and, and pouring your heart out and, and investing in delivering to them, thus saith the Lord. And and all of it was derailed because of a little tiny piece of spittle in the corner of your mouth that you didn't wipe <laughs> off. Oh, Take that's a so true. Take a hanky with you to the platform. I think every every preacher, public speaker, for that matter, when you stand up to talk to people, you need to have a hanky in your pocket so that you can wipe off the corners of your mouth. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, that's good. That's good advice. And you know what? When I think about that, um, I, I, if a preacher's tie is way offset, that just, just drives me nuts. I just want to run up there and yes. just, and just and center the tie. In between his collars, you know, like, all right, there you go. And I'm so, I'm so conscious about that. I, even when, you know, I'll unbutton my top button and loosen my tie. I am very particular about make, I, I take my fingers, feel the color of my shirt. Make sure, I'm making sure that tie <laughs> knot is right dead in the center. Cause if it's distracting me, it's probably distracting to others. So there you go, folks. If that didn't apply to you, at least you got a good laugh out of it. Take the anchorage up to the pulpit and wipe your mouth. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. What we're going to be talking about here, actually, that's just 20 minutes of an introduction. Our real conversation is about having conversations. So what I want to talk to uh, our listeners, and Ed and I are going to have this conversation with you today. I and we, him and I, feel very strongly about having a conversation with your peers about the sermons that you're working on. So let me ask you, Ed, how important it is for preachers to talk the preacher talk and talk about the sermons they're working on? Because a lot of guys, for some reason, are very private about it. 
um, and then some are very open about it. And so what is your feeling about sharing what you're working on, sharing what you're thinking about, having someone, to, a good soundboard to bounce sermon thoughts and sermon ideas off of? I think it is imperative to have somebody as a an echo chamber, a right. sounding board, exactly. A you know someone that can be a checks and balance for you. Um, accountability is is you know we preach accountability on every other level in our ministry. Um, I think it's as equally important that we have somebody that that gives us some accountability to our you know to our sermons as well. Yes, and. You know, the thing that I like about you and the conversations that you and I have, we're both extremely honest, maybe honest to a fault. <laughs> but I'd rather I'd rather somebody that I know, somebody that I love, somebody that I'm not going to be offended if they give me an honest report. I'd rather them be honest with me because honest an honest um, um, crit- critique Right um, is going to make me it better, and it's going to keep me from making an embarrassment of myself. Exactly, and and what you and I say to one another is like if you said, "Well, I'm preaching it anyways." <laughs> then, <laughs> then let me know how let me know how that turns out. <laughs> let me know how that turns out. Right. Oh, I I think I've heard that more times than I really want to. I'm like, dude, this is amazing. Oh, this is going to be good. Oh, and I hear it in your voice. Well, just let me know. Let me know how that turns that, out for you, Jeremy. That that when you hear that sentence, you, that's the clue. Like, wait a minute, something something's right. amiss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm taking my sermon thoughts from Jeremy one and one today. <laughs> and you know, there's been times that you and I have had conversations and I'm like, man, I'm just whoo, really feeling it. And I think this is a great point, And I brought it to you 5.30 Sunday morning and, and kind of going over it or on a Wednesday. And you say, I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and you know what? And you know this, I have changed my sermon because you said that really that's taken out of context or man, I really probably should, I wouldn't say that or whatever. And I've listened. I just, it just, just, I didn't throw that out you there. Know, Brother Maroney said it time and again, he said, some of the best messages I've ever preached were taken out of context. <laughs> <laughs> taken yeah. out of context. And I guess, you know, whether it's, you know, I've heard Jeff Arnold, he takes a scripture in Isaiah uh, where it, I think it's Isaiah 49. He said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against them. Right. All right. And so he preached a whole message about that comma after the word flood. And he said, essentially, that the commas, punctuation, all that stuff was not in the original Hebrew. When Isaiah wrote those words, he said that was added by the King James translators. And he said, so if they had an opinion on where that comma should have been, he said, then that means I can have an opinion where that comma should be, too. And so he said, if I change the place where that comma is, it kind of gives a different interpretation of the scripture. And he said, and that's what he preached on. And so he said the scripture, he said, I'm going to read it like this. 
when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the Lord raises up a banner. You know, oh, yeah. And so he changed. He said, yeah, the enemy comes in like a flood and we or the enemy comes in and we emphasize that he's coming in like a flood. Yeah. But he said, well, I'm going to put the comma before the flood and say the, the Lord's going to be the flood coming in. Oh, that does change it. Totally. <laughs> Without a preach, but that's out of context. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so that that's good. That that's really cool. You know, but but having someone to that you feel comfortable, and I think that's what our conversation is really about. Having someone that you feel comfortable, not only sharing what you're working on and what you feel like the Lord's laid on your heart, but also open to criticism. Not criticism, but you know, to critique it, to 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 say, hey, I don't know, you might want to reconsider, or you might want to look at this um, a little bit better. And I think having someone like that in your life is extremely important. And to me, I I value your input and the communication that you and I have. And if people do not have that, I really I really feel sorry. I, I really wish that. That if you're sitting there listening to this podcast today and you're saying to yourself, I don't have anybody, find somebody, find someone you trust, Yes. find someone that you're close to, um, that, that you you can say, Hey, this is what I want to start sharing, you know, what I'm working on and, um, some ideas. And because, you know, there's been many a times we have, I've, you know, I've had this very same conversation about about sermons we're working on and you say something and it totally changed. I mean, I, I stuck with the same passage and the same over, you know, somewhat of a thought, but then you've said something. I'm like, that just brings it to another level that, that verse or that illustration or that comment totally changes and really just puts the nail nails it down what I was really trying to say. Had we had not had that conversation, you know, I would have preached it. It would have been fine, but it was so much better because I was willing to share. Absolutely. Well, once again, we could, we could springboard from this in 14 different directions. Right. Um, I, I went, you know, obviously when, you know, when you bring your thought or your idea to your, you know, your sounding board or your friend or your person that's going to, you know, that you're sharing your ideas with, when they add their idea to it, their experience of life is is thrown in the mix. And you've now expanded that, expanded that opportunity of experience by 30 or 40 years, uh, depending on who you're talking to. And so you, you enhance your message by the broadness of who you're, you know, of your person you're talking to. So I think as as equally important having that person bolster what you're already working towards or or opening another avenue or another door that that creates you an opportunity for ministry in your in that particular message. I think the scripture says two are better than one. Right. Sol- Solomon said he said he said because if if one falls down he he doesn't have anybody to help him up. And and but two, you know, if if one falls down, the other's there to help them up. That's true. So that that little walk we have Sunday morning, the two of us walking before I go out there to preach is that opportunity that if I come up and say, man, I got this idea. Think about this, blah, 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 blah. And I 
and it and it stumbles, which it has. There's been plenty of times where I said, "Here's what I think I'm gonna preach," and I'll and I'll start saying it, and it and it works good in my mind. But as I start saying it, it makes no sense whatsoever. And I'm like, oh, my God, what I just say? <laughs> and you're over there going, um, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. But tell me how that's going to work out. <laughs> oh, and so and so that's that moment where that that second person that is there now is helping me up. Yes. Whereas if I if I didn't have that and I took what I got all on my own and took it to the pulpit and started trying to introduce it to a congregation, here I am falling down in front of people and don't have anybody to help me up. <laughs> yeah, and you know, <laughs> it, I think it should go without saying, but just just to clarify, the person that you're sharing this with needs to be another preacher, and it certainly doesn't need 100%. to be a it doesn't need to be a saint in your church. No, um, they they need to be doctrinally sound. Yes, uh, they need to be uh, biblically versed or diligent. Correct. Um, because there's 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 to me there's hardly nothing worse to get up and a preacher preaches something that's not doctrinally sound. Yes. Um, even some of the songs we sing about you know he didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down. Is is so biblically inaccurate. It just it it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me to hear that. Yeah. And so when I if I hear a preacher get up and and biblically doctrinally being off, that just just the worst for me because it creates confusion to anybody who might be biblically literate sitting in the congregation. When you have somebody that gets up and preaches and they're not biblically sound, you have somebody in the congregation who might be biblically literate. Right, and you completely undo the entire uh, um, content of your message because they're stuck over here saying, "Well, you're off in you're off in your doctrine if you're going to preach this." So what you're saying isn't of God to start with because evidently you ain't been talking to God because He's given you something or you've gotten something that's not biblically sound. Absolutely, so you, it, it really makes a, a, an ugly mark on your face when when you're preaching something not biblically sound. So having somebody that you can bounce these ideas off. They need to be somebody who's who's got a got a good grasp of both doctrine and biblical knowledge, understanding. Absolutely, that that's true. That's true. And you know, having someone, if you're a young preacher, like young in in experience or young in experience, age, mm-hmm. you know, to to talk to your peers. So I maybe if I was speaking to a youth pastor right now. If if you're a youth pastor, you know, talk, sharing this with your peers, another youth pastor, um, it would probably be a really good idea because you all can can you know get together and and, and you know say, hey man, this is a great illustration. This works. This relates well with young people. Opposed to if you was talking to an elder, the elder may not understand your vernacular or your illustration on technology in your youth class, but the elder will direct you if something's doctrinally off. So you still, as a young, as a very young and inexperienced minister, it's good for you to to bounce that off of your peers because your peers can use the same lingo and language that you're using to connect with your students, but also to, to to knock around in a soundboard that off with an elder 
um, when it comes to context and doctrine. And I'll be honest, um, I had a great privilege and opportunity to preach at one of our day camp or day services at, at Georgia District a camp meeting a few years ago. And I was I knew that I everything was right. But I still nervous about my my sermon. I wanted to know absolutely. I didn't want I didn't want there to be any distraction, and I emailed my notes to like four different elders, and I said I want you to go over this with a fine tooth comb, and I want you to find if you think anything's been taken out of context or there's any doctrine any doctrine issue that you might see, um, please get back with me. Obviously, it it come back clear. No one had it said it had, had anything to say. Uh, I, I think I might even sent those to you, but uh, because I just I didn't want to get it in front of the district and and people be looking at me with you know cockeyed eyebrow, and I'm thinking man where did this guy come from? So um, <laughs> I mean <laughs> I was I was just nervous and you know I just got up here and did my thing and you know whatever. But so you know having an elder having your peers I think it's it's very good and and if and and um, you know to everybody's listening. Don't be afraid to reach out and uh, bounce some ideas off people because you just never it's, know. It's it's important. And I, and I know we've kind of we've alluded to this, but I don't know if we've said it outright, but it is it is essential that this sounding board, this person you're sharing it with is not a yes man. Correct. It's somebody who is willing to to tell you, no, nah, you're 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 off. Right. Um it that that's that's critical or, or you're just or you're not getting any you're not getting any help from your your sounding board yes yes you know and there may be those who who are listening to this podcast and said i've never did that i'm not going to do that and that's totally fine too i just think that that just because you and i have been so close so to me i think it's as important to have a sounding board after you preach as well as one before. oh that's true so more more often than not you're my sounding board before i preach and and the reason why is because um i know i can be stupid with you right i know i can say ignorant things with you and you're not going to think otherwise of me nope you're gonna you know we're just gonna laugh and we're gonna go you know how stupid that was so stupid i mean i can't believe i thought that <laughs> so <laughs> so you're my sounding board before i preach and sometimes after right but my sounding board after i preach is my wife yes i could have 20 people come to me after church and shake my hand and pat my back and say that was just awesome i loved it that's great preaching and if my wife comes up and I ask my wife at church, what, you know, what, what'd you think about the thought, you know, how to, you know, what, how to go and everything. And right. she goes, yeah, well, but you know, this one particular thought, blah, 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 you know, that, that wasn't so good. I'm not sure that you made any sense here. You, you had me lost for a minute yeah. or you went too long. You missed the, you missed the jumping off point. My wife's after comments to me because I trust what she says and, and we have a great relationship in that regard. Right. It's not just cr- criticizing to criticize me. Um, that her her criticism to me is constructive, loving criticism um, that it has more weight and more worth to me than 20 people telling me I did a good job. Absolutely. And so and I say the reason why before she's you're before and she's after is is there's some stupid things that we might say to each other 
that I don't want to, I, I don't want to bring, I, I don't want to say this. I don't know how to even say this without saying, maybe sounding weird to some people. I don't want to bring down myself in her eyes by saying stupid things in front of her when it relates to scripture and to sermons. Right, right. When, when she has to deal with enough of my foolishness at home, right. that when I come to church, she has to still look at me and listen to me as the man of God. Right. And, and has to separate me personally in our personal life. And, and whether, it, whether it's an argument or foolishness or ignorance that we do at home, she has to shut that part of her brain off and listen. Now the voice of the Lord speaking to me through this man, the, my pastor, who's also my husband. So when I, share you know whatever thoughts with you beforehand it's that like you know i still in preparation i could say something stupid not fill out the cup but to yeah. her i'm still trying to shield her from someone whatever might have been perceived you know whether it's ignorantly or foolishness you know my part to say something or think something at least we take care of that in the beginning and to her afterwards it's more of a critique of what i've already kind of fine-tuned and I'm sure that there are probably pastors' wives and preachers' wives that are listening to this right now with their husbands or 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 by themselves, and they're probably shaking their head right now, saying absolutely. And I just want to go ahead and say this to all the preachers' wives: it 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 may not be said nearly enough on the challenge that you have to listen to your husband as your pastor. That would be yes. a tough situation to be in. You know, he's your husband. You're living your life, and then you know you got you got to turn the switch because you have to hear from God. They have to hear from the Lord as well, and to receive that from their husband, to me, it doesn't go nearly said enough at the challenge that that must be. And not at the same right. hand, at the same hand, on the, you know, on the other side of the coin, is we have to preach to our wives. Um, that's right. And and you know, that's just how it is. And uh, that that dynamic there is always a challenge because of the familiarity that we have with one another. And uh, you bringing that up was, is a very good point. And there are times that that I've come back to you and say, man. I was really excited about that, but that was a major flop. But you know what? But you know, I've been pastoring and preaching long enough. I understand this. What I consider a flop or a dead sermon, you have we have no idea what is settled in the hearts of people. And we like as emotional, outward expressive Pentecostals. We we think that if people ain't kicking over the chairs, running the top of the pews, and hooping, hollering, and shouting, or on their face bawling and squalling, we didn't knock it out of the park. Th there are times that it is crickets in the pew, nothing said, nobody moved, but lives are being changed. Eternity is being altered in the lives of people as we preach the Word of God. And so many times we judge a sermon by how much physical response that we see but we have no idea how much it resonated with someone and literally turned the tide and turned the ship of their life you know sounding bored before and after doesn't matter in at, when it comes to some point it's that life that that's being changed and sometimes i'm like well it was a great sermon you know it may not have been the times i think that it was a bad sermon might have been the catalyst that turned someone's life around right 
Absolutely. Man, this has been a great conversation. So one last question we want to go to, Ed, how does one find, if someone's sitting there listening to this, how, how do they find that person, that sounding board in their life? So the, there's a challenge when you go from being um, just a, I don't want to say this disparagingly, but a, from just a saint in the church to being now called or being in the ministry or from being a lay minister or a an assistant in a church or a youth pastor to actually becoming a pastor. Um, there are people that have already gotten their friends and, and it, it's hard to break in and find new people. And so I would, I would, I would tell you some biblical advice is Solomon said, he that wants friends, and I'm paraphrasing, must show himself friendly. And so here's what you have to do. You have to do this. Instead of standing around waiting for somebody to just magically appear in your life, you go to camp meetings, you go to youth rallies, you go to conferences, you go to anniversary services, you go to fellowship meetings, and and seek out and look out for men or preachers that are in the same kind of vein that you're in a lay minister or an assistant pastor or a student pastor, or whether it's a pastor, uh, as they're going out to eat, as they're sitting around, as they're standing around, shaking hands, go up to somebody and shake their hand, look them in the eye, say, Hey, my name is so-and-so I am a, I am a pastor at this church. I've just started pastoring. What's your name? Where are you from? And, and like you would try to make a friend any otherwise, forcefully exactly. go out of your way, get out of your comfort zone to approach people and make yourself available to be a friend to them. There's there, you know, with technology, the advent of technology, there's other ways to, to be able to be included in circles that you might not have otherwise been before. We, we currently, uh, I think you started it. Um, we have a Marco Polo group, yep. um, the Marco Polo app. Where, uh, where it started as a sermon seed uh, um, place, and now it's just turned into a bunch of us preachers just kind of fussing each- at each other and sharing some, a few things along the way and giving each other a hard time. But it, that's equally important as well on another subject for another day. Right. But that Marco Polo group introduced me to some guys that I would have never, ever been able to been experienced or uh, introduced to before. So go out of your way to find somebody Put yourself in their life, forcefully put yourself in a position where I, I don't mean like in an uncomfortable way or in a way that would be off-putting or weird where, or where you're not welcome. But generally at a camp meeting where people are standing around in the foyer or afterwards, they're eating a hamburger hot dog and there's somebody standing there by themselves. Don't wait. Go up to him. Say, hey, man, where are you from? You preacher, you pastor. Where, you know, what's your name? What's your background? Where, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And, and and you get people talking about themselves and won't be long that they'll be like, wait a minute, this guy's interested in me. He wants to be my friend. And and now you're sharing numbers and you're texting and you're meeting up for lunch. And now before long, you're talking on Sunday morning about your sermon ideas. That is such good advice. And, and I want to say I have seen you do this in your own life. So those who are listening to this podcast, Ed's not just giving this advice and say, hey, this is what you should do. I have seen you do this, and I've seen you create and cultivate meaningful, powerful relationships with people that you told me that otherwise may not have happened, 
But you did that. You walked up to them. They were new in the district. They were just voted in as pastor. They didn't know anybody. You went up. You introduced yourself to them, and and here you are. So, I mean, you have got corn in your crib. You, you've done this. And so I, I've seen it personally in my own life, and that is amazing. I've tried to do that uh, myself as well. Let me pony on that for just a second. There are times when when I've stood now that now that I'm more comfortable in, you know, I've only been pastoring for eight years. I know that may be a junior for some people, but I've been a student of the game for a long time. But now that I'm actually kind of have friends and, and connectivity in, in the district and, and otherwise, I'll be standing in a at a at a district conference and, and standing there with three or four buddies. And we're standing there just chatting and yakking it up. And there'll be a, a I'll notice a, 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 a young evangelist or a a new pastor or somebody new in the districts kind of standing off to themselves. And I don't even know them well myself. I maybe barely even know their name. I'll say, Hey, come, come here for a minute. Come here a minute. And I'll say, remind me, what's your name again? Where you're from? I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. And I'll, I'll make an introduction to my crew of people. I say, Hey, this, Hey guys, this is brother. So-and-so he passed down to so-and-so new to the district. Hey, I want to introduce you guys. You know, this, this is my friend from over here. Hey, you guys, you guys might have something in connection. You know, you, you might be from and and go out of my because I know what it feels like to be that guy standing there wishing somebody would talk to me. We We've all have. There. And that, that's a, so, that's a lonely feeling. It's a horrible feeling. So being that guy that's the catalyst that might may not even connect them to you, but you'll connect them to somebody else. That's as equally important that people be aware to, to do that for other people as well. Absolutely. And you never know what's going to happen with those connections. Those connections turn into, a, you know, a, you're, you become associated with them and those associations will evolve and hopefully, you know, turn into friendships that can become that sounding board. You never know what that person has and what they have to offer and what you can offer them in exchange in the kingdom and with your families and your churches and your ministry. Right. Absolutely. Wow. That's great advice. Well, Ed, I've enjoyed this conversation and thank you for taking the time to, um, to talk with us today. I know you're very, very busy being a Bible occasion as well, but, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll see you. I'll talk to you Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yep i'll see you sunday morning yes and you know ed did mention something about the marco polo i don't know you know some of, I've, i do know some of our analytics are showing that this bot podcast is going out in other countries i don't know if the marco polo is available in your country but uh, if you can research it and find it if it's not there something similar to the marco polo app you know um just find you a preacher so every Sunday morning, I'm connecting with you. I'm connecting with, you know, some folks in in North Georgia. I'm connecting with some folks over in Mississippi. Every Sunday morning, you know, it's, hey, man, how you doing? Why are you preaching? You got this. And we're just throwing real quick, you know, praying for you today. You're going to have, and, and you're you're looking at the camera. You're talking to them. You know, if they're fired up. Man, they're going to share what they've got. And I listen. I take the time to listen to my friends on Marco Polo on Sunday morning. And then there's been other times you're like, man, I got, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus touched my friend. Or, hey, man, I'll just email you what I got. I got something over here I can, I can throw to you. And uh, you know what? 
um, this Sunday, I will be preaching a sermon that uh, one of my friends shared. Actually, Brother Lane Coon, he was on our podcast, a few podcasts back. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. Talking to Lane, and he was telling me what he was preaching. I said, man, that is powerful. He said, I'll send you the notes. I said, well, send them right now. He said, well, I'm not ready. But he, he shared with me his his sermon, and, and you know, it's just a powerful thing. So, you know, you say, well, I don't have 5, 10, 15 preachers. Well, invite one, you know, and talk back and forth and ask that person if they know someone and get them in the group, and you never know where that's going to lead, and it can be very encouraging to you as well. Right. Absolutely. So, I, well, obviously, we may not know everybody that had would listen to this podcast, but, I, you know, for what it's worth, you, if you are a pastor or preacher that you want to and don't have a crew of people to, to bounce ideas off with, you'd like to join our group, send a text to Brother Mills or, or send a message to Brother Mills at his podcast here, and, and we'll find a way to uh, to plug you into our polo group. It, it's just for fun, so why not? Absolutely. So let's just go ahead and do that. Man, I'm putting myself out there. We might get an invitation for a thousand. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that means that, that means a thousand people would have had to listen to this. I'm not sure that's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they done hung up a long time ago. Uh, no. I started talking about pastors' wives. <laughs> oh boy. So if if you do not have someone to talk to, you do not have a sounding board, you'd like to meet some new preachers, go to uh, anchor.fm uh, that will preach send me a message and i will give you my email or my phone number and we will get in touch with touch with you so that that's yeah we'll, we'll see what happens all right ed so here's what we want to do i want you to give us a sermon thought a sermon illustration something that we can take a little nugget a little tidbit that we can use and build off of and something we'll right. walk away saying to ourselves that will preach all right, here's something. Here, here's here's a thought. I like to I like to look at scripture and compare different authors of, of different books with the stories and how they tell them, and compare the stories side by side to see if there's any different viewpoints. For instance, in Matthew chapter ten and verse twenty nine, Matthew writes, he says, "Are not two sparrows?" sold for a farthing and not one of them shall fall to the ground without your father knowing when luke records this he he writes in luke chapter 12 and verse 6 he says five sparrows are sold for two farthings so anybody that's got a calculator i could easily calculate that matthew's version said two for one luke said five for two the math doesn't equate mm. Luke's version has five for the price of for the price of two. So Luke says you can buy two. Luke said you can buy five sparrows for two farthings. So there's there's a discrepancy of one sparrow between Matthew's account and Luke's account. What's that mean? Where is this coming from? So if I might make it like this, they call it the baker's dozen. If you go to a baker in 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 England. They don't give you 12 donuts. They give you 13 mm. because back in the day, it was such a crime to short somebody on, on, their, on their bread. So the bakers would add in an extra donut 
In other words, that that 13th one, or in this case, the fifth sparrow was just thrown into the deal just to, just to get the deal. It was a freebie. It didn't it was so the fifth sparrow was so cheap and so meaningless. He said, I'm just going to throw this one in. It don't even cost you nothing. And he says, if there's five sparrows sold for two farlings, one of them is so insignificant that the guy saying, this don't mean nothing to me. I'm just going to give it to you. Hmm. And the Lord said, that one sparrow that everybody else is saying, I'm just going to throw it away. The one sparrow that everybody says it ain't worth counting. I'm just going to throw it in to get the deal. It don't even mean nothing. It's so cheap. It means nothing to me. He says, even that meaningless token of that one fifth sparrow means so much to me. He said, I notice it. I know where it went. I know what happened to it. I'm acutely aware of the very finest details of the fifth sparrow that no one else cared about. And he says, and if I care about that one meaningless fifth sparrow, how much more do I care about you? And you can preach on the, the value of the fifth sparrow. It may not mean much to anybody else, but he recognizes it and sees it for what it's worth. You may be sitting there thinking, no one cares much about me. I don't mean much. People look at me and think I'm just a throwaway person, but God sees me and he knows every hair on my head. He knows me and I mean something to him. I'm not just a fist sparrow that somebody threw away. He knows who I am. He knows my name and he knows where I'm at. Folks, you heard it here. All I'm going to say is, that will preach.